Hello Swifties, and welcome back to Further Explanation, the Taylor Swift podcast. This is part two of our folklore breakdown episode. Part one, we really intro folklore the album. We talk about the album as a whole for a really long time, and we begin the track-by-track song analysis and breakdown, which if you are a fan of the podcast, if you keep up with our episodes, you know we love those, and we take our track-by-tracks very seriously. So go listen to part one, then come back here for part two. We will be waiting for you. Part two, we finish the track-by-track It's a lengthy episode. Get yourself a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, get cozy, grab your cardigan if you have one, get snuggled in, put on your folklore merch. This is a really fun, cozy, long episode, and we get into the nitty gritty of the rest of the tracks of folklore. If you are not already subscribed to the podcast, hit subscribe, become a member of the Further Explanation. See what we did there? To everyone who has been subscribed, who has been keeping up with these episodes. It means the world to us. We absolutely adore you. If you're not following us on Instagram, follow us at Further Explanation Pod. We chat with you guys a lot on the stories over there and it is the best. If you are a Taylor Swift fan and you love talking about her music, the way that Kaya, my sister, the co-host, and I do, this is the place to be. You found your little Swifty corner of the internet. So thank you so much for being here and let's get into the episode. All right. Track three, and one of my favorites on this album. It's so funny, we literally kind of trade off. I'm like, you're good, mother, you're fair. <laughs> the Last Great American Dynasty. This is a perfect example of a song having a ranting bridge because the song needed a ranting bridge. Mm-hmm. Not because Taylor wanted all of her fans in the stadium to scream this one part of a song, but no. because the song needed it. Mm-hmm. And she deliberately was sparse with the details about like what happened to her, like how she related to this story. But in the bridge is when it all unfolds, which is such a fun way to do it. So what did you write about this song when we first oh, yeah. listened? I didn't even do that about Cardigan. I said, in all caps, production, voice, oh my god, this album is indie gold, chords. <laughs> and I said, this is her motherfucking best album. Literally, song two, and I've never loved a TS album more. <laughs> So what did you say for The Last Great American Dynasty? This is interesting. She thinks she ruined things. <laughs> and then, wow, this deserves so much analysis. I love her. Wow. I wrote, she had a marvelous time ruining everything. Mm-hmm. And then in all caps, the boys in the ballet, the lucky one storytelling shift. Yes, ma'am. I was so overwhelmed by this song. And yeah. I think it's funny because I've I've heard a lot of people talk about how they didn't. It was the bridge that require or that got them to understand what she was singing about but i understood Mm -hmm. it from the very start of the song Mm -hmm. but i was still wowed and amazed yeah as the story the way she told the story Mm -hmm. i i don't know what it is but as soon as this song starts as soon as this song started i immediately cared where it was going just something about the track and the way that the cadence of her voice as she sings Mm -hmm. over the track it just like hooked me. I don't know. It's such a breezy summary song. And I love this, the imagery that she chooses. Rebecca rode up on the afternoon train. It was sunny. Her salt box house on the coast took her mind of St. Louis. And then she switches. Bill was the heir to the Standard Oil name mm-hmm. and money. And I love how she says such that. Such a good and money. there. Mm-hmm. And the town said, how did a middle class divorcee do it? The wedding was charming if a little gauche. There's only <laughs> so far new money goes. They picked out a home and call it a holiday house. She's really flexing her writing ability here. Mm, it sounds mm-hmm. so oh, delicious the way you have to read it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Their parties were tasteful, if a little loud. The doctor had told him to settle down. It must have been her fault his heart gave out. And they said, there goes the last great American dynasty. 
Who knows if she never showed up, what could have been? There goes the maddest woman this town has ever seen. I don't think I've actually connected. As she says, really? mad woman here. Oh my god. Interesting. That's crazy. She had a marvelous time ruining everything. Also, I love in this part, It's it has three chords, and then in a marvelous time, it flips the three chords. You know what I mean? It does like the inverse of the chords. Mm. She had a dun, dun. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Also... Like she was trying to, she was kind of exploring feminism on Lover with the man, but mm. this album explores feminism so much more interestingly <laughs> and so much better, especially for one specific reason that she leans into like the insanity of what goes on in your mind when you're a woman. <laughs> and I love it. I love the the line, their parties were tasteful if a little loud. It just, the, I don't know, just this first verse immediately made me think of Taylor and her like 4th of July parties in her Rhode Island house. Like, yes, yes, I was yes. immediately uh, picturing Taylor's relationship to this other person's life, mm-hmm. even though I didn't actually know that Rebecca was the person who owned the house before. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. know that, but yeah. she just did such a good job of making it, like Jack said, not about her, but all about, about her. her. Yeah. And it's written so well. It feels like it's, it reads like a novel. So, verse two, Rebecca gave up on the Rhode Island set forever, flew in all her bitch pack friends from the city. I so love good. that line. And it's so, it's so funny because, like, when Taylor and Joe broke up, she literally, all of her friends, literally threw her bitch pack friends, literally <laughs> flew her bitch pack friends from the city and they walked the streets together. And I just, mm-hmm. it's so life imitates art, art imitates life, and then life <laughs> imitates art again. Filled the pool with champagne and swam with the big names. Oh. I also, I love when she says bitch. She started to explore that in the man, and now she, I really like it. <laughs> and the way she sings this. Filled the pool with mm-hmm. champagne and swam with the big Very names. Very classic Taylor. Threw the money mm-hmm. on the boys in the valley. Losing our car game bets with Dolly. Everything about the song is perfect. Everything about the song is exactly how it should be. And the filled the pool with champagne and swam with the big names line makes me think of this is why we can't have nice things where she says it was so nice throwing big parties, jumping to the pool from the balcony, everyone's swimming mm-hmm. in a champagne sea. And I like that she switches it to in the chorus from the maddest woman to the most shameless woman. Mm-hmm. Because I, it's like we've watched Taylor's journey kind of accepting her madness or accepting or like I guess more so rejecting the shame that the mm-hmm. public puts on her but oh my god this bridge the best thing I've ever heard they say she was seen on occasion Th- just that right there the like hearsay mm-hmm. of this literally story that has been passed down well, you don't know if this is exactly what happened if this is exactly how it happened and it's so funny because it's not they say she was seen on occasion pacing the rock staring out at the midnight sea and in a feud with her neighbor she stole his dog and died at keelan green 50 years is a long time holiday house sat quietly on that beach free of women with madness their men and bad habits and then it was bought by me and then this next chorus is when taylor My changes <laughs> it to i instead of she had a marvelous time and changes the pronouns there mm-hmm. the master class storytelling mm-hmm. and this song really does and i wrote that down when i first listened to it it really is like the lucky one in that you're kind of getting taylor writing about her relationship with fame and her relationship with celebrity mm-hmm. but through this taylor watching someone else and kind of comparing herself to another woman who's done it already and been through it and she's kind of seen how this woman has been chewed up and spat out whereas in the lucky one taylor almost pities this person and then fears for how fame will do that to her in the last great american dynasty taylor's like just embraces it kind of celebrating it the loudest woman this town has ever seen and Mm -hmm. she yells it at the end 
Mm -hmm. It's just such a beautiful growth to see in those two songs. And I think I've always had a special place in my heart for the lucky one. Like, and just the sounds of that song is like so red album to me in a way that I think it doesn't get the credit it deserves. And this song is just so folklore to me. Also want to say that we didn't get to do um, senior quotes, but I decided that if I was going to, because this is my, this is going into my senior year. My senior quote was going to be, I had a marvelous time ruining everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's just perfect. It's just a perfect song. Moving on to track four, Exile, featuring Bonnie Bear. This song is someone I saw someone say last time walk to the sunken run. Um, not quite. Not quite. I mean, yes, it's definitely like a it's kind of like a part two of that song, sort mm-hmm. of. They're very similar. I mean, it's they're both duet, like heartbreak. And it has that tension of a both people singing their side of the story. Mm-hmm. And it's very, I love it. I'm glad she decided to kind of dip her toes into that again. Because last time is one of the, her best songs and it's very underrated. But I'm not going to say that Exile is better because it's just not. But I do love Exile. It's so hard because I am a The Last Time stan. And when I heard Folklore, Exile was one of my favorites. But I don't know, like I have to be in a specific mood to listen to it. Whereas I feel like The Last Time is a song that I can enjoy a bit more easily. I feel like the reason you probably feel like okay about it sometimes is because it's such easy listening that if you're not paying attention, it can just go by and you don't even really get taken by the story. But I do like it because I don't have to get all emotional when I listen to it. It can kind of just be like a song that I play, you know? His voice is so good. Absolutely. Perfect duet of the two of them on this. This song is co-written with William Bowery. Did he really write any of that? No, I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, we won't even talk about it then. What I wrote down for Exile upon first listen was, oh my god, tragic. The tragedy. (laughs) And then I wrote, the last time, T. And then I wrote, cuts like glass. Literally cuts like glass. I said, oh my god, I don't even know what to say. I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I love this first verse. I can see you standing, honey, with his arms around your body, laughing, but the joke's not funny at all. Again, that sensual imagery, I love that she was just really not afraid to do that in this album. These next few lyrics are so devastating to me, and it took you five whole minutes to pack us up and leave me with it, holding all this love out here in the hall. Mm-hmm. It's just so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in the way the he melody sings is that. So good. Mm-hmm. And here we see a continuation of the film motif that mm-hmm. carries this album. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen this film before, and I didn't like the ending. You're mm-hmm. not my homeland anymore. So what am I defending now? You are my town. Now I'm in exile, seeing you out. I think I've seen this film before. That's both that is basically sandwiches the chorus. It's like I've been here before. It's kind of funny because she did write a song like this before. It's like I know how this <laughs> ends. History repeats itself and you, it's about how folklore and memories can inform your present. Oh, this is so interesting what Genius says about this line. So on Exile, both parties liken a toxic pattern to a movie they've already seen, but they choose to leave at the side door like an unhappy moviegoer rather than work to change it. Melodically and thematically, this is reminiscent of Swift's 2010 track, If This Was a Movie. Come mm-hmm. back to me like you would if this was a movie. BB, what about the ending? The ending in this case is heartbreak, with their characters wanting to avoid the fallout by cutting off their feelings. That is very interesting to me. Choosing to leave at the side door like an unhappy moviegoer rather than work to change it. But it's like they're not communicating well. Like you can see, no. I gave so many signs. It's just like a sad movie. It's just like, how many times can we be a sad song? Yeah. Step <laughs> <laughs> um, right out. There's no amount of crying I can do for you all this time. We always walked a very thin line. Oh my God, Haunted. 
Yep. Wow. I never even thought about that. You mm. didn't even hear me out. You never gave a warning sign. I gave so many signs. Like they were just not communicating with each other. And so yeah. it makes sense that they would choose to step out of the movie say i've seen this i know how it ends and the strength of this song is the way it builds like that bridge and the uh, the way they were singing over top of each other and it just gets you know more intense and more intense that's the best of this song because it's a pretty simple song it's a situation where you're seeing someone you're seeing an ex and everyone you know knows how that feels but the way that she tells the story again is what just makes it stand out i really love verse two i like i like that it starts with justin looking at we'll just say justin taylor i like that it starts with justin looking at taylor and she's got with her new guy her new romance this other person that she's moved on with and then verse two is taylor i can see you staring honey mm-hmm. like he's yeah. just your understudy yeah flips it to her perspective yes because you get so he's saying i can see you with him laughing but the joke's not funny at all and she says i can see you staring like he's just your understudy mm-hmm. like you think that you are like i belong to you almost like mm-hmm. this person is just temporarily replacing you mm-hmm. but second third and hundredth chances balancing on breaking branches those eyes add insult to injury so it's like how yeah, dare like, you you're the one look who, at me like this yeah. when you are just as guilty for mm-hmm. the breakdown of the relationship as i was mm-hmm. so good i love it i love the communication between these two people <laughs> in the song like that's so clever the mm-hmm. way it's done because they're singing about the exact same moment you get both of their perspectives yeah. It feels very, it brings you into a very intense moment. And like you said about the um, the bloodstain lyric, I think, how she says, like, you get your knuckles bloody for me. I love that, like, really mm-hmm. vivid, almost gory yes. imagery. It just, I don't know, it serves really well here and in the song. And she sings it almost like, like, it's, she likes that, you know, like, <laughs> you know. And, yeah, like, <laughs> how would you describe it? Like, you get your knuckles bloody for me. It's like, she has a very, like sensual way that she sings all these lines and it's like i mean it is kind of a sensual situation I mean, he's looking at her with a new guy and it, there's a lot of tension there between them mm-hmm. and so she's saying like oh you get your knuckles bloody for me you know like it's <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing it's very good it's very very intense and i love too how the chorus changes from i'm not your homeland anymore to mm-hmm. i'm not your problem anymore and yeah, i like their that. differing perspectives yes and I mm-hmm. like that because, like, for him, she was her homeland. But for her, she was like, I'm your problem. Yeah. And uh, she says, I'm not your problem anymore. So who am I offending now? Like, why mm-hmm. do you have a right to be upset with me for moving on? Mm-hmm. Even if this person isn't, you know, the love of my life, if I don't mm-hmm. feel for him what I felt for you, we were complicated and we were messy and we didn't communicate well. So what mm-hmm. if this person's making me laugh and I'm not your problem anymore? So who am I offending now? You don't have a right. We're not together. You're in exile. We broke up. Who am I offending? Yeah, it's just so good. You were my crown. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. I was going to let you. (laughs) I was going to say, the so step right out. I love that. The shift. It's like, so, well, well, and what now? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love that line. And then obviously the back and forth is the best part. And Taylor said in the Long Pond Studio sessions that... The song was kind of finished up to the point of the bridge and they sent it to Justin. And then when he sent it back, it had that bridge of so step right out. There's no amount. And the song just would not be the same without that. Like he just made it so he Much added more interesting. a Bonnie Vare uh, complexity to the song that it, it needed, I think, because without that, it would have been pretty simple. 
So track five of Folklore and probably my favorite song on the album. I say probably because I've had different favorites on the album, but I think this song has always kind of been like the number one, but it mm-hmm. it took me some time to really uh, admit that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but track five is My Tears Ricochet. What did you write down when we first listened to this? You know I didn't want to have to haunt you. That's my favorite part of the whole song. You know I didn't want to have to haunt you. That's the best part for me. That melody is so good. Wow. Best lyrically. I needed this. (laughs) I don't even know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I wrote down, I didn't have it in myself to go with Grace. Me either. (laughs) Oh my God. The build. (laughs) In the Long Pond Studio Sessions, Taylor said that My Truth Ricochet is a song about karma, greed, how somebody could be your best friend, companion, most trusted person in your life, and then they could go and become your worst enemy because they were your most trusted person. And she spoke about this song kind of reminding her of divorce. And then she also said something that I found very interesting, which is in all of the superhero stories, the hero's greatest nemesis is the villain that used to be his best friend. And I love that. That's so good. The drama of it all. This song, it's so funny because I think of all of the songs on Folklore, this is one of the ones that is maybe the most personal to Taylor and to me, a a kind of obvious way. But it actually feels super personal to me. And it's like, no, this isn't even actually about Taylor. It's actually about me. Yeah. And I think that's why the song is so great. I feel like I have seen a lot of fans and a lot of people deeply connect to the song in whatever way it relates to them. And I think if Taylor had tried to write this song on an album that wasn't folklore, it would have come out differently. And it would have been too much about my master's got stolen. And the fact that she kind of set the scene at a funeral and made it so grave and she made it so cinematic is Mm -hmm. why it's so relatable to all different kinds of people for all different kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. It's so much better than just doing a cheap little like throwaway little, you know, reference like she would do in Lover, you know? Yeah. And I think it really shows how devastating the inspiration for the song really was to her that she could Mm -hmm. write about it in this way. It just hits so hard. And I love the, even on my worst days, did I deserve, babe, all the hell you gave me. Mm -hmm. Because I loved you. I swear I loved you till my dying day. And that's where we start to understand the setting of the song being her funeral. And I don't know, like, even on my worst days, did I deserve all the hell you gave me. Like that that reflective, contemplative, Mm -hmm. even when... I wasn't the best version of myself. Did I deserve the worst version of you that I was getting? And I just love the the question of that. She doesn't say that as a statement. She asks it like a question. And I, I just love that line so much. But then I think maybe one of my favorite songs is I didn't have it in myself to go with Grace. It's so good. Because sometimes you don't when you've been putting up with someone's shit, when they've been giving you the worst version of themselves every day, day in and day out, you just, you can't always go quietly. You shouldn't have to. (laughs) And you're the hero flying around saving face. And if I'm dead to you, why are you at the wake? Cursing my name, wishing I stayed. Look at how my tears ricochet. She's so like, in the song, she is like the ghost. She's like the spirit haunting. She's like the all-knowing angel that's like... She's I just, the ghost I love the attitude. Uh, watching her own funeral. Did you... The My Tears Ricochet line 
I didn't get it when I first no, listened me to either. it. And I, I still I think don't it get it sometimes. The, <laughs> I think it took the Long Pond Studio Sessions version of her singing it, saying, look at how my tears ricochet. Look at all of my tears turning into your tears. So I think what she's saying there when she says my tears ricochet is how they ricochet off of me onto you. You hurting me, you're going to have to live with that guilt. And I can't absolve you of that. Even if I forgive you, I can't absolve you of it's that. It's like how people try to feign sympathy, like, oh my god, it's mo- it's been so hard for me knowing that I hurt you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then that line that you pulled out in the second verse, you know I didn't want to have to haunt you, but what a ghostly scene. I don't know really where this comes from, but there's this like like this mythical belief that if someone dies unexpectedly or abruptly like their soul doesn't have time to really transition and cross over mm-hmm. and so they kind of linger in limbo for a while and so she says i didn't want to have to haunt you but what a ghostly scene because you are the same jewels that i gave you as you bury me like this person does it say how so no she shame. died no no it doesn't that's interesting but that line you you're wearing jewels that i gave you as you bury me that's just crazy <laughs> But it's very literal when you think about it. Like, he's he's has all her albums, all her glory as he's, you know, literally saying, you're done. Signing her off and yeah. kicking her to the curb, essentially. And then the bridge, oh my God, just absolutely kills me. I can go anywhere I want, just not home. And you it's can aim for lines. my heart, go for blood. Well, aim for my heart, go for blood. I guess that is, like, you shot me down. Yeah. But you would still it's miss definitely me. like, it reminds me of, like... Uh, but it's a very classic, like, revenge story. Like, you did me wrong, and then you killed me so that I wouldn't be able to tell anyone about it. I mean, mm. she did have to, you know, and now I'm haunting you, and you'll have to live with me for the rest of your life. It's a very, you know, classic sort of story. And I think that, like, that's something we've seen in film, and that's something we've seen and heard for years and years and years. And I think because it's so familiar, that style of story is so familiar to us, I think that's why the song hits so hard, is because she, mm-hmm. she kind of used... Uh, a story that we all kind of know and understand, but she told her version of it. Mm-hmm. You would still miss me in your bones. It's so good. She does say you had to kill me, but it killed you just the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly yeah. what you said. God, the chorus, the ending. It's so much more powerful than just to say, you hurt me. I'm so sad. Now what do I do? Blah, blah, blah. It's so much more powerful to say, you're suffering <laughs> and I'm watching, you know, like, it's it's more in- interesting and it's it's more powerful than just like kind of you know the victim complex that people used to give her shit about. It's kind mm-hmm. of subverting that and being like, yeah, I'm dead, but you are <laughs> dying inside because of it. So yeah, <laughs> screaming at the sky—that's such a good visual. And I love uh, the <laughs> yes, yep, and yep. how it like kind of dies out, and then this chorus builds back up. Sink beneath. And it literally yeah. sounds like a boat rocking on the ocean yeah. and like fighting mm-hmm. with the waves. The way it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into- Did you get that, guys? Did you all get that? that <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who missed it, that was. <laughs> and the way she sings, "You turn into your worst fears." That's one of the most emotional deliveries of any mm-hmm. line she's ever done. It's so good. You turned into your worst fears. And you're tossing out blame, drunk on this pain. It's like people who victimize themselves, who are really Mm -hmm. the cause of their own pain, but drunk on this pain, like you're using it to your own advantage. You're so deep Mm -hmm. in your own self-pity that you can't accept your your part in causing this. Crossing out the good years. 
wishing. So good. It's, uh, I just it's, it's just yeah, it's it speaks for itself. <laughs> Jack mentions that a lot of Taylor's writing is very in the moment. It's very this happened and then this happened and then this happened and this is how I feel about it. But my tears ricochet. It's very very pulled back. And Taylor comments on the whole experience of it. Track six. We have Mirrorball. This is a song that actually uh, took me some time. And I think it might be because it sounds like a Sheryl Crow song to me. (laughs) Go to 48 seconds in the in that video or like 50 seconds <laughs> doesn't it sound like I want yeah yeah so it sounds just yeah, like yeah definitely gonna mm-hmm. soak up the sun. yeah yeah and i think that's what threw me off a little bit because i like i don't mm-hmm. know it's a very classic sounding the, the way she sings is very classic in this song mm-hmm. taylor said that she wrote mirrorball after her Loverfest shows were canceled isn't it so funny that she has this wealth of knowledge about every single reason the song was written, every song on the song was written, and she just like sometimes throws out a little thing at us, and we're like, oh. <laughs> I wish she would give us more information. <laughs> I know. She really but. is quite withholding. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mirrorball is an interesting, there's an interesting contrast with, or maybe uh, a continuation of, rather, with New Romantics and mirrorball to me it's like mirrorball is the end of the party if new romantics mm-hmm. is the start of the party and when you're going out like mirrorball is yeah. kind of when most everyone's gone home and you're still sitting there like nursing a drink and you're mm-hmm. kind of contemplating why you're still there both songs are very romanticized and like how they sound in the descriptions but this song leans more into the darker side of it whereas new romantics kind of just brushes it off as it's not a big deal you know we're all bored and tired of everything that's not very happy (laughs) (laughs) yeah this song is one of the most atmospheric songs she's ever produced and written it's sound it's so beautiful it just takes you away i love the hush when no one is around my dear yes the way she sings is just so delicate and soft and just gorgeous (laughs) It's like the whole, the whole song just like lifts with her with to her with that mm-hmm. line. And I love the spinning in my highest heels. Love. I love all these um, like terms of endearment that she uses. Yeah, with whoever she's singing to. Just for you. And the I know they said the end is near. This is probably the first time on the album that Taylor kind of addresses the pandemic, which I think to me just further proves that the, it wasn't about the pandemic. It just gave her space to feel things that she was able to process in this silence in this stillness of a lockdown yeah because it's like even when the whole world is crashing down she's still on her tallest tiptoes oh we forgot to say what we wrote down i said what is this reminding me of and then i said kaya i thought she said toilet callie me too (laughs) when we (laughs) first heard this we thought she said toilet tiptoes yes i'm still on my toilet (laughs) i'm still on my toilet (laughs) (laughs) i said wait did you finish uh and then i said Circus? Getaway car? And then I said, the bridge. Still trying everything to keep you looking at me. No, that hurts me. (laughs) I said, oh my god, this is something else. (laughs) And I said, I need this. I don't know what that means. (laughs) And then I said, toilet. (laughs) And then I said, wow, a vibe. This is actually the successor successor to Red? I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Hmm. Just this song sonically felt like Red to you? I don't even know. Okay, then I said, a true love. Like, what? <laughs> and then I said, this is amazing. Heartbreaking. <laughs> I 
was literally like, hi, I'm my own supply. <laughs> I just wanted to say one of my favorite lyrics in this song is you are not like the regulars, the masquerade revelers. revelers. She finds the most unique rhymes in this album. Drunk as they watch my shattered edges glisten. Genius says that the references, this references the buildup of feuds and negative media attention that forced Swift to go into hiding at the end of 2016. The world moves on another day, another drama. This says that the line suggests that they, presumably the media, enjoy watching Taylor break into pieces and almost see her pain as a form of amusement. However, Swift describes the subject of Mirrorball as being caring and sympathetic when no one else is. But she's also feeding into it. She's the one saying, I'm the mirror ball. I've put myself in this situation. It's a, it's really my fault. <laughs> like the world sucks, but it's also like I'm playing into it. But I also love how the song is almost circular. You know what I mean? Like it, it feels like it's mm. constantly re- like revolving. Yes, exactly. It's like, like a mirror ball. Like a mirror ball spinning spinning disco ball yep. oh my god yep. so good and even the lyrics like she's but i'm still no she keeps uh you know it feels like you're yeah. just going around in the same circle <sighs> it reminds me of i'm reading this book right now called sirens and muses it's set in 2011 at this uh, art school it's it kind of switches through four different povs of mostly students at this school and i read a chapter the other day and there was a line that was like Something about, I'm not going to quote it because I can't remember it directly and I don't want to butcher it because it was beautifully written, but it was something about how you kind of have to stay miserable for your art or you kind of have to keep yourself in uh, in a state of... The opposite of ease. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it just, the way it was worded really spoke to me and it definitely, that's what she's talking about here in Mirable. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, you enjoy my pain and you enjoy this and it doesn't make me feel genuinely seen and understood but this is also like they called off the circus burned the disco down they sent home the horses and the rodeo clowns and i'm still on the tightrope mm-hmm. like even when you all turn away and the show's over i'm gonna be doing this anyway so mm-hmm. even if how you handle it and how your reaction to that makes me feel is negative and not healthy for me that's not enough to get me off the tightrope <laughs> yeah it sets it up as an internal struggle mm-hmm. deeper than anything else yeah which is why it's so good and so relatable to other people who aren't celebrities mm-hmm. and then the way it ends I, oh wait okay i just need to say that the line of the bridge where she says and i'm still a believer but i, I don't know why to say that i've never been a natural all i do is try try try, try. try, try. <laughs> when i heard that lyric i was kind of shocked that she put that in a song because it mm-hmm. felt like something she maybe would have said like her first two or maybe three albums, but it felt like something she would have taken out of a song. Yeah. She doesn't want to admit that. (laughs) Yeah. And she actually said that in the Long Pond Studio session. She was like, I remember when I wrote that, I was like, is that too real? Like, is that too honest? She said that to Jack and he was like, no, but that's what makes the song. And I wish she would lean more into that, which I think she's starting to. And then I love how it ends. Of yourself tonight. It's very, very peaceful. It's a very peaceful song. It's almost like... Like at the end, she finds some sense of acceptance for this state of being that she has found herself in, of needing to perform and share her pain with people because they are their pain is reflected in her. And it's so funny that that's literally what this album is, even though it's other people's stories. It's like we're relating yeah. to it because of you, because you put your pain into the album, because you put your stories in. <laughs> yeah. And also it feels like then it feels like it's ready to repeat. <laughs> you know yeah of yourself tonight and it kind of does that like reverberating and then it goes out yeah and you could easily start it over 
I'll give you Whoa. the floor. Ladies and gentlemen, we are on to my favorite song track, Seven, called Seven, which I personally love that she did that. I actually, uh, in my notes for Seven, I wrote nothing down, probably because I was too busy having a mental breakdown when we heard it. <laughs> so I have nothing written down because the song is, I, said, I know this is, I know this is your song. I would never step on your toes, but the song deeply, deeply, deeply fucks deeply, me up. Deeply, deeply, deeply. <laughs> <Gaia>. <laughs> I said, oh my god, best song in the world. <laughs> Favorite so far, I cried. Okay, I mean, it's very personal. The lyrics are very personal to both of us. But song-wise, this is, like, my favorite. So to set this up, in the Long Pond Studio sessions, when she talks about the song, she was talking about seeing a kid throwing a tantrum in the grocery store. Taylor was talking about, like, when did I stop, like, getting upset and throwing a cereal box at my mom? And Jack said, well, not just when did it stop, but where did it go? <laughs> and I think that is answered in Mad Woman. Yeah, and that's another way all these songs connect, and it's much more complicated. First of all, I love that she's literally saying, I hit my peak in life at age seven, <laughs> which because is something- Because so did Kaya. <laughs> something, well, yes, and I didn't think anyone else felt that way other than me, <laughs> and I surely didn't think Taylor Swift felt that way. But I understand from her perspective because that's she had a normal life back then. She was a human being. She could experience the world from a normal perspective. And I understand kind of the way she thinks like that because that was kind of her peak in a way mm -hmm. because everything else kind of changed after childhood. But it's also just relatable to me because I also think I hit my peak at childhood. I think everyone kind of hits their peak at childhood just because when you're a child is when you're uninhibited and whenever you're mm -hmm. the most natural version of yourself before mm -hmm. you get bogged down with society's expectations and everything. So I love that she's saying this lyric, this is one of the most folklore songs to me because Please Picture Me in the Trees. That is literally the album cover. Mm -hmm. This is what she wants to be remembered for, which is insane because she has this huge legacy of being a pop star. And she's saying, actually, I'd rather you just picture me in the trees in Pennsylvania when I was seven years old, which is so personal to me. <laughs> Feeding the swing over the creek. I was too scared to jump in. I love that imagery of her. You know, when you're a kid, you always do that. You stand in the swing and you jump, but you're too scared to jump in. But um, I love that she mentions Pennsylvania because she never talks about Pennsylvania in any of her songs. Because mm. <laughs> she kind of tried to pretend she wasn't from Pennsylvania in her first few albums. <laughs> so this is kind of like reclaiming her childhood in a way, too. And um, are there still beautiful things? Oh, so good. That's kind of like the prompt for the album. It's Or mm -hmm. not the album, sorry. This song. Because nothing was as beautiful as when you're seven years old and you're outside. <laughs> and, and it's so easy to find beautiful things when you're young. Because, mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, hopefully, your your parents will try to shelter you from a little bit, hopefully. And I also, I just need to say this because I want to let you have the floor because I, you, I know, have so much to say about the song. But I did just want to say that when Taylor sang Seven on Father's Day recently at the Ayers so tour, <laughs> she introduced it by saying, like, I have a great dad. I know that a lot of people don't have good relationships with their dads or it's complicated. And then she went into seven and she started singing seven. And it made me feel like when I was a kid and I first discovered the debut album and I would listen to Taylor's music and it was like for the first time someone was talking directly to me and I, like someone was protecting me, like someone understood mm -hmm. my experience out for you. and they were validating that. And when I heard Taylor singing Seven on the tour, it felt like little childhood Taylor in this song was coming to little childhood me in this <laughs> song in my imagination and was like, I think you should come live with me. We can be pirates. And it mm -hmm. 
like I just had a full moment, like a therapy moment listening to this because it's just, I don't even know really what to say. You just described it. <laughs> it's, it's, she's taking care of you. The lyrics are very, and that's what I, when I first heard the song, that's why I cried. It's just like, mm-hmm. she really is. She's smoking out for me. And still. she's always <laughs> like for, like we've been fans since the debut album and it's, this song kind of illustrates what it felt like to be a kid finding Taylor's music. Because she did have a good childhood. She had like a safe parents who sheltered her and mm-hmm. there were beautiful things for her at seven. But like for some of us, we already saw that not everything was beautiful at seven years old and that there's some shit and maybe you felt like your house was haunted. And Taylor was kind of the escape. And she's she's singing the song as her childhood self to your childhood self if this song does that for you. And mm-hmm. it just feels so, I don't know, like meta in a way, but also not and just comforting and safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like when you look back on your childhood and you see like how beautiful it was and then you're like, it doesn't feel like that's still even the same world we're living in, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And then um, I also love the way she sings the chorus sweet tea in the song, mm-hmm. like very like rhythmic almost. And then, oh, I can't recall your face, but I still got love for you. That's just so, I mean, just think of all the kids you grew up with when you were so young and innocent and and just had probably shared such a nice bond with them, but you don't even see them. You barely ever, you can barely even picture their face anymore because you haven't seen them since you were four or five years old. And that's just so beautiful. Um, past down like folk songs I love last so long. This is this is why this is the most important song on the album for me because it's just it's the it's the epitome of of the theme of the album. And then of course the bridge where she just punches me in the gut. It's such an interesting <laughs> structure of a song too to go verse, chorus, bridge, and then another verse and then end on a chorus. And all the way she's like, I've been meaning to tell you. I think her house is haunted. Like that's such a childish thing to say. I love it. Um, your dad is always mad. It's just, she is reaching out to the people who had rough childhoods. She probably experienced, she had friends in her childhood who had rough childhoods. And it's just such a universal experience for so many people, but she words it in a way that's so innocent still. And so just how a kid would word it. Mm -hmm. And you should live with me. We could be pirates. It's just so sweet. It's just such a sweet Or hide in the um, closet. Mm -hmm. And just like a folk song. She knew what she was doing with that. Yeah. Our love will be passed on. And it's nice because she says at the end of that chorus right before, pass down like folk songs, our love lasts so long. And then she says in the end of the bridge, and just like a folk song, our love Mm -hmm. will be passed on. And she's commemorating these kind of lost loves of her childhood friends forever with this song and saying it's just as important as anything else in my life. Yeah, I can't really talk about this bridge because there's just too many personal things. But yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about it. Yeah. If you get in a casual way. (laughs) Yeah. And if you think that it couldn't get any better, she somehow does with verse two, where she addresses like girls. They have to learn how to be civil and ladylike so early on that you lose the just your natural impulses and instincts that boys are allowed to carry through and are allowed to celebrate. Uh, I learned before I learned civility, I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted. And that's just something that you think of childhood and you don't relate to that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, you can't do that anymore, but you it's such a precious time when you could and when you were just purely yourself and purely just passion and everything on that. That second verse, Taylor says in the Longquan studio sessions, she talks about please picture me before I learn civility. She said there's something lost there. And I just wanted to call that out because that mm-hmm. I don't know, that feels very vivid to me that, that something mm-hmm. is lost. You, you do lose whenever you're taught how to be a person in society 
it's not just you're gaining skills, you're losing a part of your natural self. Mm-hmm. You're stifling yourself. You're learning how to and more so for, and stifle for yourself. certain individuals in the world than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so next we have track eight, which is the eighth month, which is August. I was wondering if you didn't know that and if I just dropped that bomb on you. <laughs> track seven is seven and track eight is the, eighth, the eighth month. month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And track one is the one. She's such a little dork. She is. She really is. So what I wrote down for August was, I'm out of words. I'm so happy. And then I wrote in all caps with multiple exclamation points, bridge. Mm. You're very interesting with this song because you kind of, you don't like it very much, <laughs> which is interesting. Oh my God. My first thing that I wrote was... <laughs> Is this about losing her virginity? <laughs> and that's said, perfect for August. <laughs> Meet me behind the mall, which is interesting. Perfect for July into fall. I feel like I've found love. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Taylor said in the Lockwood Studio sessions that she wrote, remember when I pulled up and said, get in the car and then cancel my plans just in case you call in the vocal booth. And what I was wondering before we started was like, I wonder what that song would be like without that. Because it's a very memorable part. It's a very good part. I like it. But it does feel like it changes the song a little bit and makes it a little more poppy, you know? Mm-hmm. It just kind of changed. And I like it. I really do like it. But I kind of what I like most about the song is the music, the musicality and like the so the verses are my favorite parts. So and the rest, no, no. I wish maybe like we could see what a song would be like with just more of that, you know? Because it just focuses on like creating the feeling of August. That's what I like most about this song. And that that shows up. That's just the outro. When she says, "Could you or never mind, never mind." So it, you're really, I guess, wondering if the song had just ended at "Cause you were never mind, never mind." Or, like, it could have a bridge, but I would wonder if it would be a bridge that was more... Well, the bridge is back when we were still changing for the better. Hmm. Well, I still think it could have a different different outro. I think an outro is good for the song, but, like, if the outro was less poppy and, like, focused on lyrics and, like, little catchy things and it was more about the musicality of it, I feel like that would be interesting to hear. Because I really... You could really explore the musicality in this song a lot. But it is a a very enjoyable song, which is what's so funny about it. (laughs) It's, it's like, I, I don't ever, like, the song doesn't ever come on and I'm like, ugh, August. But it's probably one of the ones on Folklore that I do skip the most. I think the guitar is beautiful in the song. I think that is one of my favorite parts. But I know what you mean, because, like, I think maybe replay value isn't as good as, like we said, for other songs. And it is a more easy listening type song. Like, you could put it on the background and you don't have to get swept away in it like you do for Seven and Hoax and my, some of my favorites. But it is interesting to think about the contrast of August to Betty. Mm-hmm. So if you look at these two girls who are on opposite ends of this person, one of them has this self-assuredness. Betty has a self-assuredness about her. And she's like, I knew all of it when I was young. I could mm-hmm. see it. I knew that I knew you were going to come back to me. And I knew that, you know, could kind of predict what was going to happen. But this narrator, Augustine, I guess, is that what we call I guess. I feel like I've heard people say Taylor. that. <laughs> what I always thought was interesting is the, will you call when you're back at school? I remember thinking I had you. When you're back at school, so they didn't, did they not go to the same school? I always thought they were like, maybe like he was home for the summer 
and she was still there. So he's in college. Maybe they're both in or something, but she doesn't. She didn't go away for college. He did. I mean, it's reminiscent. It's not in the moment. And so is Cardigan. Cardigan's reminiscent. You know, the only song that's like in the moment of the three is Betty. Betty. God. That boy's an idiot. <laughs> they're both wiser than he is. <laughs> I, I do love the, the first verse of salt air and the rust on your door. That's, that's just, just like a very... The most visceral imagery. <laughs> literally about to say that exact same <laughs> sentence. And whispers of are you sure, never have I ever before. That is very like kind of cheeky and it's also sensual and flirty, but it, it evokes very like high school romance movie, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. What I love about watching movies is sometimes similar to what I love about these songs. Mm-hmm. There are just so many people that go really hard for the song. And it's like the cruel summer of the album. Yeah. I love August sipped away like a bottle of wine mm-hmm. and slipped away into a moment in time. Because it's now, it's no, it's no longer your life. It's just a moment in time. Yes. I was going to say that is probably my favorite lyric kind of up there next to Whispers of Are You Sure? Slipped away into a moment in time because it was never mine. It, which kind of... Uh, harkens back to what was it is it the one where she says I guess you never know you never know like you never know it was never mine it's just a moment in time it's just a thing that happened to me now but I do I do really like this exploration of her writing as this like other woman mm-hmm. but making it kind of like a it's sad because she was mistreated by this person, mm-hmm. but it's it's not like angry. It's it's easy to listen to. It feels light, and it it kind of has this like twinge of a summer romance. Like it feels kind of beachy, and that makes it feel more enjoyable and light and yeah. breezy rather than being like you're kind of like floating above it rather than being like sunk down in that. Yeah, but you are kind of like in between. Like you could sink down, you could float above. You're kind of in between. Because it's not like it's never touched on that it was to live for the hope of it all. Like you're hoping that this this is going to turn into something more than it is. And that's but you what know you're that living for is the hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Back love when the we bridge. were still changing for the better. <sighs> that was so. And the way she runs across the stage during Eras tour, which mm. is still that's so good. Back when we were still changing for the better. So does does that then mean that this narrator feels like uh, when James left her, she's like, that change was not for the better, not for me. I think also it was just like back when we were young and like growing up and learning things Mm. and we weren't just getting hardened and getting bitter and getting worse, (laughs) you know, making bad decisions repeatedly. This is probably their first taste of that. (laughs) The because you weren't mine to lose. I love that at the end of the bridge. It just, like, sends me out into the ocean. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. See, I feel like there's two different songs. There's the... And, like, the wispy, watery part. And then there's, like, the jumpy, like, you know, quick part. And it feels like... Those those parts are fun, but they don't have the emotional depth that the other parts do. And they don't really coexist in the song in a way that pleases my ears. (laughs) It does feel like separate sections of the song. I love how the vocals in the part, it like fades out for a second and you only hear it in like the background and then it comes back. I really like that. Track nine, This Is Me Trying. So the only thing I wrote, we're kind of getting into the latter half of the album and this is where I was like, can't believe this is happening too overwhelmed to too overwhelmed taking in <laughs> new taylor swift music can't really write anything yeah down. what did you write 
I said second verse. Relatable. That is so true. This The structure of this song is really interesting because it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then a post-chorus that kind of sends you into this kind of stream of consciousness bridge. Mm-hmm. And then it ends on the post-chorus, which kind of gets turned into the outro. The only thing I wrote for This Is Me Trying is intro I love. <laughs> and I love the way she starts singing with this. I've been having a hard time adjusting. I love how she's like up there and then she goes down. Mm-hmm. And then she goes, didn't know if you care if I came back. And then she goes down. I have a lot of regrets mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. It feels very conversational in that way to me. And I just, oh, I love this song. It's so good. And I did not like super, super duper love this song when it came out. I I love the song, obviously, but like it was never one of my favorites. And I feel like only recently I've started to kind of appreciate it more. It was my number one favorite when the album first came out. This was like my song. There's just something I love about the I've been having a hard time adjusting. It, Mm -hmm. It feels like this person's in therapy at least in this first verse almost, it feels like they're talking to their therapist. They're kind of like confronting these things. I've been having a hard time adjusting and I pulled the car off the road the other day. Like it, it I don't know. It's just something about the structure of that first verse that's very confessional, but yeah. not in a like I'm flooding you with information way. It's like how someone would really talk <laughs> if they were struggling. <laughs> and to me, it doesn't give me therapy, but it just sounds like kind of like someone who's been struggling for a long time and is just coming up for air long enough to like mm-hmm. be able to verbalize it. You know what I mean? Like even just to a friend, it's just like, I've been having a hard time adjusting. Like that's a very good way to like start explaining, start even begin to explain what's been going on with you. And isn't that just like the crux of most problems is I'm having a hard time adjusting. <laughs> yeah. That's such a thing. Like you wouldn't think to put that in a song, but it's, it's good. I had the shiniest wheels, now they're rusting. I love that imagery mm-hmm. there. And then pulled the car off the road to the lookout. Could have followed my fears all the way down. One of my favorite lyrics and one of her most devastating lyrics, yeah. I would say. And it also parallels that line in Hoax. Stood on the cliff sides for yes. me a reason. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, stood on the cliff sides. So it kind of feels like these two songs are narratively kind of following similar experiences. I like the, and maybe I don't quite know what to say, but I'm here in your doorway. <laughs> and the chorus is so simple, but effective. This is me trying. Like, out of all the shit that I've done, all of my mistakes, all the ways I've come up short, but it, this, I'm, I'm trying, and I've been trying, and this is what that looks like. <laughs> and it's like, sometimes trying doesn't look like much. Sometimes it looks like, well, you're still kind of a mess, mm-hmm. but it's like, the only person who really knows if you're trying is you. And I just, oh my God, this song. They told me all of my cages were mental. So that's I got so wasted like all my potential. And that's so annoying that told me all my cages were mental. Like, don't tell that to someone who's dealing with mental health issues. <laughs> Obviously, they know that. <laughs> Genius uh. says, this indicates that Swift has been told by others that she's been self-sabotaging and setting herself up for failure. There was never a real threat like she had envisioned and imagined. It was just in her head. And then it draws similarities to mm. Afterglow. Hey, it's all me in my head. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then it it uh, calls back to So It Goes where it says, Gold Cage Hostage to My Feelings. That's so funny because I've always been like, what what song does this, is this reminding me of? It's So It Goes. That's what I was thinking of. 
And then this line, I know that this line has kind of perplexed a lot of us, but I was so ahead of the curve. The curve became a sphere, fell behind all my classmates, and I ended up here. That's just... If, if this song, if this line has ever confused you, just literally imagine being so ahead of the curve. Like, just picture uh, like a fishhook curve. You're so ahead of everybody else that... You end up behind everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it just loops you back because it's like the... When you tell kids, oh, you're so grown up, you're so mature. It's mm-hmm. like, I was ahead of everybody else when I was a kid, but I actually mm-hmm. was dealing with shit that I shouldn't have been dealing with. So now I'm an adult who feels like I'm, I'm frozen. Underdeveloped. I'm stuck. Yeah. <laughs> Just deeply, deeply it's relatable so good. to me. And everyone talks about like the gifted child thing, which mm-hmm. is like very, very true. It's not good to put kids on pedestals like that and to like compare their mental capacities and like... Mm-hmm. It's just that whole culture is not good, and we see the negative results now. (laughs) A genius on the head of the curve line says that there's a common belief or saying that celebrities who become famous at a young age are stuck maturity-wise at the age that they were when they became famous. They never grow up. This line is likely talking about how while she was achieving all the success, Taylor missed the chance to actually grow up, unlike Mm -hmm. the other people her age or her classmates. (laughs) Oh... That's funny to think about it in compare, like in context of her music, like she was so ahead of the curve that she just kind of got sucked under, and that's what happened. That's when we got Lover. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god, that's good. I just I need to praise the at least I'm trying. Yeah, it's beautiful because it feels like in the chorus she says, "I just wanted you to know that this is me trying." She's just saying it very. She's putting it simply, and then in that post-chorus, it's like that desperate like. Well, at least I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Like, give me some credit. <laughs> I've, you know, she's explained in two verses all of the shit that this narrator is dealing with. And then she's saying, I just wanted you to know that this is me trying. At least I'm trying. It's so funny. I don't know if you agree or disagree with this, but the bridge in this song, I have like a love-hate relationship with it. It feels like she tried to do a ranty bridge and it didn't have the same impact points that she's used to. Yeah, sometimes I really like it, but sometimes I feel like it takes me out of the song. Yeah, but I do like how it goes down, and it's hard. Yes, I like that. Yes, I like that, but I don't know if but maybe I don't like lyrically. the flashback on a film reel on the one screen in my town. Why does she have to go da 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 <laughs> in every single song? <laughs> I don't understand, and I think that sometimes that is when it takes folklore, like some parts take you out of it, because she still has those pop melodies ingrained in her brain. She can't get rid of them, and they come out in alternative, and very emotional alternative songs, and it's like that doesn't even fa- that doesn't even feel right. <laughs> but I love the lyric. It's hard to be a par- at a party when I feel like an open wound. That is my one of my favorite lyrics in the song. It's hard to be anywhere these days when all I want is you. Your flashback in a film reel. On the one screen in my town. That's my... I love that. I love the lyric, but I don't like the way she sings it. <laughs> but, yeah. That's so good. Because it's like... It, it reminds us... I mean, we we grew up in a small town where they only had, like, one movie theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're a flashback in a film reel, which is a great alliteration, on the one screen in my town. So it's like, kind of like a metaphor. It could be taken literally as if you're like, you know, she kind of explores childhood and these characters who live in small towns or something like that. Mm-hmm. But metaphorically, it's... I only have one image in my head and it's you (laughs) and i'm just replaying you and replaying you and replaying you 
It's interesting, though, that it's, she focuses so much on whoever this person is, because it feels like the song is more about her internal struggle, but then she talks about how she's so focused on this one person, but maybe she's not realizing that that's part of the problem. <laughs> that's what I was going to say, too, is I, I do, like, lyrically, I don't have anything against the bridge, I think. So it must be just that melody. You're a flashback and a film reel. It's oh, like, yeah, the one screen in my what, time. what? We're, the, the mood just changes too much you there. You could have come up with something else. <laughs> I mean, I know that throughout the song, she's saying, I just wanted you to know this is me trying. So you're trying to convince someone in your life that you are doing your best. You're trying as hard as you can to be better. But this, this focus on this person in the bridge, and it's funny because it's almost like you said, a reflection of maybe why this person is struggling. It's like you're focusing on the wrong things. If this is yeah. you trying, you need to try for yourself and not this other person. Mm-hmm. I think that's partially why it never was my one of my favorites. It didn't hit me as hard as it maybe could have. Because that was the underlying thing throughout the whole thing is that... But when I listen to it, I don't want to think about that. The way I have to relate to it is that that's more of the background issue. It's not really, it's not really what the reader is struggling with. It's easier to frame it that way. But I do think she was struggling with it. <laughs> Because why is her whole goal to convince someone that she's trying, you know? It's similar to Renegade, actually. The The narrator in This Is Me Trying could be the subject of Renegade. So not the person singing Renegade, but the person who broke into a million pieces. Oh, Mirrorball. Similarity there. Yeah, it just irks me when I think about her and Joe's relationship, when you think about all the songs that came out of it this and afterglow and peace and running gauge just like there's some shit there track 10 and one of my absolute <laughs> favorite songs on this album <laughs> illicit affairs all i wrote for illicit affairs is fuck that's oh all my I said. god <laughs> look kelly i said in all caps lyrics and then next in all caps she's bye <laughs> <laughs> She is not. There are some heavy uh, themes of Dear John to me in this song. Mm. And this is only something that I was thinking about when I was writing the outline for this episode is I was just looking at the lyrics of the song and I was noticing like in Illicit Affairs, you're talking about uh, mostly the bridge is really where I draw the comparison is and you want to scream, don't call me kid, don't call me baby, mm-hmm. look at this godforsaken yeah. mess that you made me. You showed me colors you know I can't see. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that is really where I get the comparison. The song Where as the a guy whole, has the power in the relationship. Yeah. Or this other person. Because to me, the song is about a younger woman and an older woman. But just in that sense, I see a comparison. Like in the bridge of the song, they just feel connected to me. The production of the song is absolutely perfect in every single way. All of the like lucky angsty like on the verge of having a breakdown (laughs) sounds the way she's singing it she sounds like almost like she's on the verge of crying like she's so emotive in this song Mm -hmm. and all of those like plucky strings the plucky guitars and that little Mm -hmm. i don't know what it does but it, it just makes me feel very sad but not in a like devastated like heartbroken way but more in a like conflicted i'm okay but i'm also really not okay kind of Mm -hmm. way like i don't know she just it's calming at the same time yeah she -hmm. just perfectly captured something in the song make sure nobody sees you leave and it's almost like she's giving instructions 
hood over your head, keep your eyes down, tell your friends you're out for a run, you'll be flushed when you return. Take the road less traveled by, tell yourself you can always stop. This line, what started in beautiful rooms, ends with meetings and parking lots. Oh my god, like just, I don't, I have a thing with, okay, if you are like me and you really love this song and you were like me and you also picture this song to be from a woman's perspective, singing about an older woman, I need to recommend a book to you. And it's called We Do What We Do in the Dark by Michelle Hart. Go read it. Um, if you like Sally Rooney novels, you will really love this one. But this is a queer romance. And it's basically this song in book form. Mm-hmm. So, so, so good. But anyway. And I love how it starts with the verse one, which is like these instructions, and then it goes into the chorus. And that's the thing about illicit affairs. It's almost like the song starts with this person kind of passing wisdom onto someone else. And they're like, and that's the thing about illicit affairs and clandestine meetings. It's born from just one single glance, but it dies a million little times. And then it goes back into verse two, and it's giving you these instructions again. And then it kind of the narrator almost drops into it in the moment again at the end of that second verse, like a dwindling mercurial high, like her voice gets really high again, Mm -hmm. which it didn't do that at the end of verse one. Ends with meetings and parking lots. So that was verse one. But then at the end of verse two, it goes into dwindling mercurial high and her voice really goes high. So it's almost like this desperation. And then it goes back into the chorus And by the time that uh, second chorus is done, this person's like, and you want to scream, don't call me kid, don't call me baby. And it's like, they're fully back in that emotion Mm -hmm. now. Like they're really reliving that feeling that they had. And then it goes into, I I, I don't even know how to like, I just get, sometimes when I talk about songs that I love, I get so overwhelmed and I don't even know know. how to fully articulate how good this is. Yeah. I know for so many people, this song didn't really stand out for them until Taylor sang it. Uh, on the Eras tour. If that is you, I love that you finally appreciate it. Like genuinely, I I just, this song means so much to me, but it's like, it's even more than, than just the bridge. Like the bridge is good because the song builds into the bridge. The bridge isn't even my favorite. Bridge is like my least favorite part probably. Just What's your favorite I part? I love, um, I like whenever it comes back down, mm. you know, and it's just a guitar. It's very peaceful. The only... And this isn't necessarily like a problem. This is more just me. Like, I love this song so much. And so I'm like, well, I know how I can make it better. So I wish that after the bridge, when she says, you taught me a secret language, I can't speak with anyone else. Instead of going, and you know damn well. I wish that instead of going straight to that, we had gotten another pass at the chorus and gotten again. And that's the thing about illicit affairs and clandestine meetings and stolen stairs. They show their truth one single time, but they lie and they lie and they lie. And then instead of saying a million little times, I wish she had just restarted there mm-hmm. and redone the chorus. And that's the thing about illicit affairs and clandestine meetings and stolen stairs. They show their truth one single time, but they lie and they lie and they lie. And you know damn mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I like that. My point is that I wish there had just been another pass at the chorus. And the bridge is so emotional. It's kind of like the emotional peak. And I wish that there had been just like one more chorus to kind of level it out. Because it feels too abrupt when you know no, damn well. I feel like that part, uh, I don't like it very much. I do love the for you, I will ruin myself. But like the music stops too. It's a little odd. And I think that's really all I have to say about the song is it's just perfect. And I love all the the clandestine meetings. That makes me think of like Emily Gilmore because I think that's where I first heard that <laughs> word as she said that. 
to Lorelai <laughs> once or something. Um, but there's just such like fancy wording used, like dwindling. A dwindling yeah. And then it's yeah. kind of like contrasted with a drug that only worked. And it's yeah. like the that, first few hundred times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like and that. it's like, an affair does, it starts in beautiful rooms and it ends with meetings and parking lots. When it starts, it feels beautiful and it feels special and it feels secretive and it feels really romantic, but it's an affair and it's, there's some shame that comes along with that. Yeah. And it never ends pretty. <laughs> Especially in an affair like this one that is illicit. <laughs> you know, it's not like an ivy where the affair is like unfortunate, but you find the love of your life. I feel like Ivy's kind of illicit too. Ivy is a beautiful love story. It's more cheeky about it, like it's an unfortunate timing love story. Whereas yeah. this is not like a love story. This is an illicit affair. Perfect song. Perfect song. And <laughs> in my top two of this album, probably Meister's Ricochet and Illicit Affairs. I don't know. Like it's so hard because I think I it's it's hard to pick and like speak about your favorite songs on a Taylor album because it's like, mm -hmm. well, My Truth Ricochet is my favorite because it's so emotional and it like wrecks me every time I listen to it. And I can listen to it kind of casually, but it's like illicit affairs is there's never a time where that could come on and I don't want to hear it. But like My Truth Ricochet, sometimes I might be like listening to it in a removed way because if I really listen to it, then it will hurt my feelings, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I usually listen to it in a removed way, illicit affairs. <laughs> And that's why, like, with Speak Now, like, with Innocent, I'm like, well, that's, I love that song for more than the emotional connection I have to it. But because I have such an the emotional, emotional connection, connection makes to it, hard. yeah. It's kind of similar with Seven. Like, that's very emotionally distressing sometimes, but mm -hmm. it's still my favorite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Next, we have track 11, Invisible String. This song is like the one love song on this album <laughs> i personally love this song it's always been in the top half for me of my favorites just because i think it's just so beautiful and that guitar every time you hear it, you're just like oh i just want to lie in this <laughs> i wrote dot 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 wow love song of the century and then i wrote in all caps bridge omg the growth and then not in all caps. I love when she sees herself as she is in her songwriting, owning herself. <laughs> I said, intro. Little did I know that would be the whole song. <laughs> uh, green. Oh, I think it's just because I like the color green. <laughs> and she mentions green. That's Melody. <laughs> and I said, red thread, Raylo. <laughs> mm. I love the red thread. That's a great little... Little folk, folk tale. In the Long Pond Studio sessions, Taylor said, on the idea of fate, I kind of love the romantic idea that with every step you're taking, you're taking one step closer to where you're supposed to be, which is something that she has written about in all of her music. But the song is kind of like the fated song, you know, because she pulls on this idea. She pulls on this idea of the red string. Which is, Kaya, do you want to explain that? I feel like you could probably. The red thread. Your Raylo brain could probably <laughs> explain that better <laughs> well, than I can. Well, it's just the folk tale that everyone's born with thread, a thread connecting them to somebody. And no matter how far away you are from them, throughout time and space, you're constantly connected to them until you eventually meet them. It's like basically like soulmates, sort of, but cooler. <laughs> <laughs> and this is honestly like the improved 
version of all of the girls you loved before. <laughs> yeah. And I like this. I like the concept because it doesn't it doesn't mean that it's not the stupid like soulmate thing where you like you only have one person and you have to be with them and blah, blah, blah. It's it could be attributed to anyone, any type of relationship, even people that you don't. You have tons of infinite strings connecting to so many different people, people you might not ever even meet, you know? That's what I think, at least. Even though they broke up, even though it doesn't last, or it didn't last, they had think something pulling them together. I think I have a red thread connecting me to you. <laughs> we actually have similar DNA. <laughs> <laughs> I love this first verse because she says, green was the color of the grass where I used to read at Centennial Park. I used to think I would meet somebody there. That was so me. That is so me. Like, especially when I was in college and I was like constantly walking around campus and anytime I didn't have a class and I wasn't working, I would just pick a spot and I would read and I'd be like, who's going to fall in love with me while I'm sitting here reading outside this classroom right now? It's just such a, it's just such a, like a teenage girl experience that she just captured right there. Not even teenage. No, it's, it's not just teenage, but it's, it's like, that's where it starts, I feel like. And so it's, but it never leaves. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I think this song is brought down, unfortunately, a little bit just because it's so Joe and like, there's so much Joe in it, (laughs) which I don't really like. And it's so specific that you can't help but think about that when you listen to it. But that's, that's like the only negative to the song, really. I love the chorus. Time, curious mm-hmm. time, gave me no compasses, gave me no signs. No nope. other clues I didn't see. Yeah, that's so just like existential in a way, which I really love. Mm-hmm. And I love the, and isn't it just so pretty to think? Because it is. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty mm-hmm. to think that all along there was some invisible string tying you to this person. That's such a good way to introduce the key concept of the song. And I love the me. Yes. It's such a folk song. It's such like Appalachian folk song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's which is why that's I love what it. what I love about the song. It's not necessarily the lyrics of it, although I do love the lyrics, but like you said it is quite specific, but I just mm-hmm. love the melody and the instrumentation of it the most. Yeah, and it's like I like that you ate at my favorite spot for dinner. Like mm-hmm. just take it out of that and that's just a nice little lyric. I don't know. You anybody can think about that, relate to that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I also love how she says bad was the blood of the song in the cab on I your know. first trip to LA. Like that's the most unrelatable song in the entire world, but like kind of I mean, I don't know, maybe, but I love the way she just has no shame in wording that such an insane way. <laughs> and it's so funny too because like even now in the context of them breaking up, it's like she was unescapable before yep. they were together and she will be unescapable for the rest of his life. Yep. Even people could relate to that. Like, oh yeah, I remember Bad Blood played in the car. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny to hear her reference that song. And I love the, she said, I looked like an American singer. It takes you out of this like narrow worldview of just like. Mm-hmm. And it's a clever way to tell people that they're not in America. I'm mystical time. I love that. I love when she talks about time because I have the same thoughts, girl. <laughs> Cutting me open, then healing me fine. Which, again, kind of just calls back to the one. Like, if you never bleed, you're never going to grow. And it's all right now. It's such as she gets out of her own little head about her own little personal, oh, he did this to me, he did that to me, blah, blah, blah. And it's more just like, man, it's life. <laughs> you know? <laughs> as long as it's more... just like life. Life, life is so funny. Crazy. Life is a fu- real life is a funny thing. <laughs> life's so fun. Life's so fun. You remember that? Real life is a funny thing. 
And I love how she goes to the bridge. It gets really like a little darker, you know. String to pull me out of all the room. Yeah, so good. That dive bar. How many times I'd hear about that dive bar? Yeah. We get it, Taylor. You were slumming it. And I love the one single thread of gold. It's so good. That that little riff knows that it's that girl, but it's the highlight of the song. It's just like, oh, my time again. <laughs> it's so pretty. And then this is, I just love so much about this album is that the structure of all of the songs really just are what the song needs them to be. And it's because mm-hmm. Taylor was writing them without thinking, okay, this has to be for pop radio, you know? Yeah. So after we get the bridge, we go into verse three. She says, cold with the steel. Oh my God, this might be my favorite verse. Cold with so the good. steel of my axe to grind. For one, I just love that phrase, axe to grind. And mm-hmm. she used it so in such a clever way here. Cold was the steel of my axe to grind for the boys who broke my heart. Broke my heart. Now I send their baby's presents. Gold was the color of the leaves when I showed you around Centennial Park. Hell was the journey, but it brought me heaven. And so she's calling back to this lyric at the very beginning of the song where she says that green was the color of the grass where I used to read at Centennial Park. Gold were the color of the leaves when I showed you around. So she's kind of showing Mm -hmm. you that time has passed. Mm-hmm. And it's a different season, a different year when she's there mm-hmm. showing her. Summer this- when she was there, but now it's fall when she's showing him around. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. like, I used to go to this park and sit and think that I was going to find somebody. And I didn't find somebody here, but mm-hmm. I did find this person somewhere else. And now mm-hmm. I get to show them this place where I used to read. You can think that what you want is what you should get in your life. Like she was going to this park thinking, I'm going to meet somebody at this park maybe. And I'll just be sitting here reading. But it's like, that's that just wasn't the reality that you had. But you kind of got what you wanted at some point down the road anyway, just in a different way. And maybe and then this relationship wasn't even what she ended up wanting after all, which is what makes it. That's but that's what, what, what I like about yeah, it. Is that it's it's not about like. Finding your happily ever after. It's just about the wonders of life. And just the, the journey of it. You know, mm-hmm. like hell was the journey, but it brought me heaven. It, it's back and forth your whole life. That's what life is. I love the baby. It's cool, baby, with me. <laughs> it's good. And then I love the outro that it just that she really let that have its moment. It's so funny as it should. If you think about and then <laughs> oh yeah, it's so much better. <laughs> okay, track twelve. Mad woman. I wrote, she's saying so much without saying so much, you know? (laughs) And then I wrote, second verse with multiple exclamation points. I'm going to cry. I said, excited for this one. (laughs) Oh my God, good intro. Bam. (laughs) Ooh, girl. (laughs) Fuck you forever. Yes, 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 yes. The man could never... (laughs) Even then, the man could never have this type of feminism. Amazing. We'll be listening forever. Sister in womanhood. (laughs) God, yes. Don't move on. (laughs) You should know I won't. No, don't. (laughs) Oh my God. The bridge. Then the last chorus. A fave. How we treat our women. Yes, this still remains in my top on this album. It's not my top three because I have those sacred little Holy Trinity, but it's usually in my top five. 
It was when I first heard folklore. I, f- I found my ranking that I did like the day, the morning after we got the album. And Mad Woman was number three for me. Mm. It's so good. I love it. It is so good. It It's just like, yeah, I do feel insane because of my, <laughs> my position in society. <laughs> it's real maddening. You get it. I mean... And I love how it starts. Like, she's already just, she has so much to say. She can't even hold herself back. She's like, What did you think I would say? <laughs> it's just, yeah, and I, she starts I like the that song. It, it drops you in, like, at her response to someone's indiscretion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, you don't even need to go through all the bullshit because everyone knows we all understand. And it's more about how she's dealing with it. Mm-hmm. What did you think I would say to that? <laughs> <laughs> it's a brilliant opening line mm-hmm. for, for this song specifically so so brilliant mm-hmm. um in the long pond studio sessions taylor said that when aaron sent her the track to the song uh she said she just immediately felt female rage she was like that's what the song is and i love the does the scorpion sting when fighting back they strike to kill mm-hmm. and you know i will and then she so, repeats that. So good. You know, you I, know will. I will. So I will. It, oh. it makes me think of uh, Better Than Revenge when she says, mm-hmm. you might have him, but I always get the last word. Also, if you think about like, you could take this in any context, but let's be real specific with Taylor. Think about what Kanye said in his song, Made That Bitch Famous. And she could just be like, this is her response. What did you think I'd say to that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? like, it just it works in so many levels. And not that, you know, this is not a unique experience to her, but it's like any time that she did speak up about these frightful men and how the way they treated her, <laughs> it was always like, oh, she's crazy. She's the victim, playing the victim all the time. It's like, well, maybe she's actually being victimized by these manipulative, <laughs> abusive, powerful men. It just, it's so... I don't know that like there's so many themes of other Taylor Swift songs, like angry Taylor Swift songs that feel present in the song. But it's like this was really the way she was able to articulate it in Mad Woman. It's a culmination just... of all her anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cul- yeah. Um, and it's just so it's just so universal for women. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they tried to kill. And, you know, I will. That's so good. Mm hmm. What do you sing on your drive home? That's so funny. Mm-hmm. And fuck you forever. That was a shot heard around the world. <laughs> oh my God. Love that line. Does she mm-hmm. smile or does she mouth fuck you forever? And I can see like her face and it's like a little billboard or something. And she's like smiling. Then she goes, fuck you forever. <laughs> you know, like that's mm-hmm. how I see it when I listen to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is crazy to me. So the pre-chorus is every time you call me crazy, I get more crazy. What about that? And when you say I seem angry, I get more angry. And then mm-hmm. this is the chorus. And there's mm-hmm. nothing like a mad woman. What a shame she went mad all the mm-hmm. way to the end of that repetition. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like a mad woman. You made her like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just like, fuck, fuck you guys. Fuck <laughs> that bear till claws come out. You find something to wrap your noose around. Once again, she's exploring the darker imagery. That's mm-hmm. really, really effective. Yeah, the second verse, it just feels like very, like, getting more and more intense and more and more, like, you know, and another thing, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, now I breathe flames each time I talk, my cannon's all firing at your yacht, which is so funny because, like, 
Girl, <laughs> I don't know why she uses like imagery like that to make fun of other people because you are literally almost a billionaire. <laughs> God. But I do like the the imagery of like cannons firing from like ships. You know, cannons how they fire at each other with ships. Yeah. But obviously, like they're annoying rich people, so they're firing with yachts. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's kind of like. I'm sure that's not how she meant it, but it's almost like champagne problems, you know? Like, you mm-hmm. guys are sitting on your yachts and you're all pissed off at each other. I forgot about this. On Genius, it says that uh, Taylor took to Twitter to explain her knowledge of the deal with Scooter Braun and Shamrock Holdings and what everything. And she said, uh, after Braun purchased Big Machine, my team attempted to enter negotiations with Scooter. His team wanted me to sign an ironclad NDA saying I would never say another word about Scooter Braun unless it was positive before we could even look at the financial records of Big Machine Group, which is usually the first step. It's not It's not signing an NDA. Like, that's not normal. <laughs> so I would have to sign a document that would silence me forever before I could even have a chance to bid on my own work. And if you look at now I breathe flames each time I talk, it's like... Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say anything nice to you because I don't have anything nice to say. If you don't want me to say ne- negative things, then maybe you shouldn't do bad things. <laughs> if boys don't want me to write bad songs about them, mm-hmm. then they shouldn't do bad things. And one of my favorite lines is honestly this whole verse, but they say move on, but you know I won't. Mm-hmm. Like, no, mm-hmm. you shouldn't, and you shouldn't move on. <laughs> That's so good. Like, you know I won't. Like, she's just so she's owning it, which I love. Which is so weird when she's in hits different. She's like, it was always so easy for me to move on. Like girl we know you what are you talking about <laughs> yeah it's like maybe once it was easy to move on with, from calvin harris but like when have you ever let anything and go? tom hiddleston <laughs> but yeah she in general she does not move on from anything ever and women like hunting witches too oh that's such that's such a clever lyric doing your dirtiest work for you because it's not just men who feed into this system and punish women unreasonably it's women too you know they choose if they want to be in this position that Taylor's in or they want to benefit from this position and they want to benefit from the men. And um, I'm glad she addressed that in the song, too. It's a way for men to use their power to let the women be the face of their wrongdoing so that they don't ever look like the bad guy so yeah. that they can fly around saving face and not actually have to appear as the nasty piece of shit that they are (laughs) and i love that she ends the song with no one likes a mad woman what a shame she went mad you made her like that Mm -hmm. it's you it's your fault and i love the uh, like the background vocals are so haunting Mm. you took everything from me the way she sings that is so good the master of spin has a couple side flings good wives always know that feels very similar to vigilante shit where she's like, picture me thick as thieves with your ex-wife. Those two songs are very connected to me. Like, I feel like there could mm-hmm. be a, a cool mashup transition moment of these two songs. And it would work really well together. Because well, it's about Scooter. <laughs> and they're both like, I don't know, Vigilante shit just sounds so different for Taylor. Yeah, I was going to say, it's so interesting how she approaches feminism. Because it was always to her. She never did before because it would have been hurtful to her. I mean, she had she's always feminist because she's a woman and she was doing things you know but like she didn't she was very clever about how to you know not play that card 
too much mm-hmm. because then she would be labeled as whatever. But once that started to change and it became a little more accepted, she started to use it in like ways that just are so shallow and like like the Nicki Minaj stuff, how she was like, oh, it's not feminist of you to um, talk shit about my music video. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And she's very, like, from her perspective. That's her main goal is it's always from her perspective. It's not really the plight of women, you know? She was just so self-absorbed around that time period, especially, and kind of felt like, did you did you ever consider that there are other people's experiences that matter just as much as, if not more, than yours? <laughs> like, there was nobody saying anything like that to her at the no, time. She had a lot of yes not. men around her. Especially. She was just feeding into the drama and the ego of it all. And just wanted so badly to be like the big pop star that couldn't be touched and was kind of like punching down at people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She was very unaware of herself. (laughs) Um, But just like when she says like watching you climb over people like me, like she still has that little like victim complex. It's like, oh, people like me always suffering. (laughs) Like, are you serious? Uh, But it's like it's a relatable song because other people can relate to that but i don't even think she can relate to that but like that's how she really feels which is why it's so silly but but this is definitely her best take on feminism her best song on feminism because the man like i mean it was a good old college try but at the end of the day she's still making millions of dollars every day and like i don't really feel that much feel that much sympathy for her issues (laughs) i love the good wives always know that's such a good line and she should be mad scathing like me but so she has, she sees why these women are benefiting she has from it. Empathy, but no one likes a mad woman. And what a shame she went mad. And I think that has a double meaning because it's like women who are called crazy. Obviously, they say that. Oh, what a shame she went mad. And then women who are stifled and are constantly repressed and never speaking their mind, they go insane in their own minds. You know. Okay, track thirteen, Epiphany. Um, would you write? I didn't write anything for the rest of the songs just because I was too overwhelmed. (laughs) What did you write? I wrote lyrics, the end and the beginning. (laughs) Need to analyze. (laughs) Mm, Computing, computing. (laughs) I love Epiphany because I feel like it's very atmospheric. And Mm -hmm. while the lyrics are devastating, and I think you can have a moment and sit with the lyrics and get really sad because the song is really sad. Or it can just be on in the background. I love that she does that inflection with her voice. It's just kind of experimental in a way that a lot of her songs typically aren't. Let's see, what does Genius have to say about the song? Epiphany describes someone hoping to find peace in their dreams despite living in a world of chaos and violence, specifically in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. I listened to this song the other day and cried (laughs) because the line, only 20 minutes to sleep, but you dream of some epiphany. It's just, it doesn't even matter what you think the song's about, what you think Taylor was writing about. It's just, that's just something that anyone can take away and just be like, yeah, I wish. Because it's not, doesn't have to be about you're in a battle or you're in war or you're in a, you know, a pandemic or whatever it is that very intense, high, high octane situations. It can just be about life too, because there's tragedies every day. And you just don't know how to deal with all of that. And everyone just wants some sort of understanding, some sort of reason or epiphany. So it all makes sense. They don't have to struggle with it every day. But we never get one. And it just hits so hard. I said this earlier, but I love the atmosphere of the song. The lyrics are so vivid too. Keep your helmet, keep your life, son. Just Mm -hmm. a flesh wound. Again, that kind of like gory imagery. And I love how she sings crawling up 
the beach is now. I don't know. There's just movement to that melody. And then I love as she says, sir, I think he's bleeding out. The way it says starts with sir, it's something so, I don't know, there's triumph Desperate. and desperation in mm-hmm. that. And then, and some things you just can't speak about. And I love that there's that kind of a bit more vague line to kind of cap off these verses, because even if you can't relate to the two stories being told in this song, if you can relate to that line, then you can relate to this song. With you, I serve. With you, I fall down. Watch you breathe in. Watch you breathing out. It's just, I don't know. There's something really peaceful about this song, which I know is... It is a very peaceful song, but it juxtaposes the material, and that's why it works so well. Yeah, because it really does feel like... I don't know. I've listened to the song in so many moments of my life, and in the moments where I was listening to this song and I was really giving it my full attention, I've been able to relate it to so many different things, things that I'm experiencing in the moment or things that I've experienced in my life. It feels comforting, like for any time that you just wish that you could make sense of something in your life that's just not making sense. Mm-hmm. And the some things you just can't speak about, like it's a way to kind of process stuff without feeling like maybe you just can't, there's nothing really to say. Yeah. The song's just written and produced in a different way than like really any Taylor Swift song. And I know this is a very like not similar to the song example, but it makes me think of like, it's nice to have a friend. They're just very Mm -hmm. different songs than anything else she's ever done. And they're different than the rest of the songs on their respective albums. I just love when she experiments. And the only 20 minutes to see. Her voice is so gorgeous in the song. So beautiful. Oh, I love how it it's starts one of the most high and songs. then it just drops really low because it's like that desperate song. It's like you're searching for it up here and then you, you're you like trying to find it. You're trying to pull it down. And then I love the last chorus where it goes down, down. And all those harmonies down, that she does. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, I couldn't go that high, so I didn't even <laughs> attempt it. But there's so many beautiful different moments of this song that I just feel like it's it gave it the appreciation it, it deserved because, like the song, the production gave it the mm-hmm. quality it deserved because it could just be a throwaway song, but they put their whole everything into the song. And Taylor said in the Long Pond Studio sessions when she was talking about the song with Aaron, because that's who produced it, she said, I think I really felt like there should be a string moment on the album because we were towards the end of it and it was all very piano and acoustic. And I felt like I should there should be a moment where there was a song that was unlike anything I'd done before and could really exercise that muscle that I know you have. When I was thinking about that, her grandfather, she said, I realized that there are people right now taking a 20 minute break in between shifts at a hospital who are having this kind of trauma happen to them right now that they will probably never want to speak about. And I kind of thought that this is the opportunity to maybe tell that story. She's just so masterful at telling multiple stories at once in a single song. Like with The Last Great American Dynasty, it's about Rebecca Harkness, but it's also about her. And with Epiphany, it's about her grandfather in war, and it's about uh, nurses and doctors and anyone on the front front lines lines. experiencing what a lot of people could kind of hide away from in their homes and be like, well, this isn't that bad. Can I go to this party? Yeah. Like, (laughs) this is incredibly traumatic for so many Mm -hmm. people. and. One, I love that she touches on COVID in a bit more of a direct way in the song because it's like, that is what necessitated this album to be created. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I just like that she kind of validated that it was really Lots traumatic. Of people were struggling at the at this moment. Because, directly because of this pandemic. And because mm-hmm. of, they had to watch people die every mm-hmm. single day. 
And I don't know. And I've, I've heard some people say like, it's weird for her to be singing about this, these two experiences that she can't relate to. And especially in the pandemic for her to sing about people experiencing the pandemic in a very like helpless way. And for her, someone who's rich and had all the resources in the world and wasn't ever going to be really threatened by this. It's like, mm-hmm. and I get that, but I appreciated having a song like this because I was pretty lucky with the pandemic and that I wasn't in a situation where I was super exposed. And I could Mm -hmm. just stay home in my mind, still living in the pandemic. It was incredibly traumatizing and scary. And so I appreciated having the song because it validated that this is a really traumatic thing that we are all experiencing. And I would love an epiphany and some minutes of peace to actually like feel okay about this. (laughs) All that to say. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's a song that very effectively and beautifully describes trauma. Yeah. I wrote in here, I know why people don't get the song or don't like it. They have small brains. <laughs> God, I just feel like so many times the reason that people don't get a Taylor song is because it's like, this isn't directly about her and I haven't experienced it either. So I don't get it. <laughs> okay, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> Track 14. Okay, whatever. That's fine. <laughs> Track 14, Betty. I said harmonica, debut vibes. Yay. <laughs> Because I literally was just like, I mean, what else am I supposed to think when she's talking about a girl in a song? (laughs) I really wish that she had never been like, I read this from a boy's perspective. But she did, is the thing. I know that, but I wish she'd never said that. (laughs) Oh, what a treat it was to hear this song with you in the year of 2020 when Taylor had not stepped within 10 feet of a country song in... (laughs) yeah. My oh my, a long, long time. <laughs> and this song just felt kind of like returning home. And it even like mm-hmm. lyrically, it almost feels kind of similar to like Tim McGraw or... Um, Betty, I will make assumptions when you say Tim McGraw. Yeah, it's similar. This song was never one of my favorites. It's actually probably lower on the totem pole. <laughs> it's always been in my lower ones. But I do appreciate it. There's no bad songs on this album. Let's start there. So when I say that, I don't mean it's a bad song. I don't mean I even dislike it. I just mean it's not my fave. Um, I think it's a cute song. I mean, there's not much to talk about because James isn't very smart. And he is kind of dumb. And <laughs> it's not the most interesting person to read from. <laughs> I think the pre-chorus... You heard the rumors from Inez. You can't believe a word she says most times. But this time it was true. And this is what I always say, because she was like, oh, yeah, Joe was just like wandering around singing the bridge or the chorus of the song. I was like, you think Joe Alwyn is just going around singing? But if I showed up at your party, would you have me? Would you want me? Would you tell me to go fuck? Like, there's just no way. That's such a stupid story. I'm not going to believe it. (laughs) And I love a, would you have me? Would you want me? Mm -hmm. Like, that's good. That's good. It's just a very basic question. It's like, would you want me still? (laughs) I have never liked the line in front of all your stupid friends. I don't like it because it's annoying, but it's probably what he would say. This little teenage boy. But see, when I, when I first heard the song and I, in my brain, I was like, okay, so this is a girl singing to another girl. Mm -hmm. I just took that line so differently in front of all your stupid friends. Like it just has a much different connotation. Oh Yeah. In that context. I mean, it's so. rude in any context, but yeah, it's way worse in James' context. <laughs> um, I li- I'm only 17. I was. I was only 17. <laughs> I don't know anything. And that's such a great comparison contrast to I knew everything when I was young. 
Mm-hmm. I'm only 17. I don't know anything. Like, your stupid lame-ass excuses. Um, you know who does know things? <laughs> the girl you're talking to. She knows everything, so shut up. <laughs> that excuse is not gonna fly with her. <laughs> In the Long Pond Studio sessions, Taylor says that she heard Joe singing the chorus of it, and I thought it sounded really good from Amy Ann's voice from a masculine perspective, and I really liked that it seemed to be an apology. And I've written so many songs from a female's perspective of wanting a male apology that we decided to make it from a teenage boy's perspective, apologizing mm-hmm. after he loses the love of his life because he's been foolish. And mm-hmm. after she says that, Jack goes, allegedly. And Taylor goes, no, 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 we know. He's been foolish. A, a fool. I was like, you argued that pretty, uh... What did he mean by allegedly? I don't know. I guess it's just because it's, like, made up. But Taylor was like, no, 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 we know. And I was like, girl, chill. Like, what are you What are you talking about there? Yeah, it's <laughs> odd. The whole thing is odd about the whole love triangle and writing from a boy's perspective. And it's just like, what an interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the second verse. Betty, I know where it all went wrong. Oh, sure you do, Jane. <laughs> it's not when I was in bed with this other girl. Oh it's, my God. it's when we were in the gym and your favorite song was playing, but you were dancing with somebody else. So I got upset. Mm-hmm. You're such an idiot. But I do, I do just love these lyrics. Betty, I know where it all went wrong. Your favorite song was playing from the far side of the gym. I was nowhere to be found. I hate the crowds. You know right, that. Right, right. That's why you were nowhere to be found. <laughs> but I love how she delivers li- delivers this line. Yeah. Uh, I was nowhere to be mm-hmm. found. I hate the crowds. You know that. Yeah. I saw your nails. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and then the, but I know I miss you. In and in my cardigan. So good. That's like classic country. That's one of my favorite mm-hmm. parts of this song. I love the bridge of this song. I was walking bum, home bum. on broken cobblestones. Yeah. Just thing of bum, you, bum. which... And I love that line too, a figment of my worst intentions, rather than a figment of my imagination. Mm -hmm. A figment of my worst intentions. intentions. He could have had and he did have and he acted on. (laughs) I slept next to her, but I dreamt of you all somewhere. Like, what is wrong with this child? What is your issue? (laughs) My God. I played it out for weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's a cute little story and I like how it, you know, changes in the bridge and then the uh, next verse is like a different part of the story and then at the end, blah, blah, blah. And then you get this like great payoff in the end with the outro. The key change too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kissing in my car again. Which such a clever rhyme. Mm-hmm. Cardigan and car again. Yeah. It's just it's a good song. It's not one of my favorites, but I do love it. Yeah. I would like to make that clear. Okie dokie. Next track oh, fifteen. Peace. What did you write for peace? Cool intro, coming of age, summer, guitar, piano, true love. (laughs) It is literally words, fragments of ideas. (laughs) Yeah, I love this song. This has always been in my top half as well. It's just so beautiful. That bass riff Mm -hmm. that that repeats through the song, it's just gorgeous. I remember um, in the Long Pond Studio sessions when Taylor and Aaron were talking about this song. And Aaron was talking about how Taylor just kind of like traced all of those riffs that he had in the song with the guitar. He was like, you just kept up with all of it. The song is just so perfect. Like it's a perfect example of her lyricism perfectly matching his production and instrumentation. And it just like, it just works so well. And she said too, that when she heard the track for Peace, she said, 
it just made me think of peace. It made me, it sounded peaceful. And I thought, okay, well, what if I just went with the obvious, but then maybe flipped it? So like, what if I could never give you peace? Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a clever way to start to like latch on to an idea for a song, like go with the obvious, but then subvert it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, how can you make that not just super plain and simple? I love our coming of age has come and gone. God, that's such an amazing line. Suddenly this summer, it's clear. And you see, it's about Joe, but at the same time, I don't know what it's about because there's a few references and a few lyrics that I don't quite don't quite add up to me because our coming of age has come and gone. could mean a lot of different things, and it doesn't mm. directly make me think of Joe. What does she mean by, I never had the courage of my convictions? Um... I think it's like my my ideas and maybe the things that I say are maybe stronger than how I really feel. <laughs> I feel like, because like, I know what all the words mean in that sentence, but sometimes in the context of this song, I'm like, yeah, it gets, mm-hmm. I get a little muddled, especially with the following, as long as danger is near. Yeah, that can make it mean like, um, she says one thing, but really she likes danger, you know? Hmm. Well, that I never drives- had the courage to stand up to my... The my ideals that I spouted or whatever, but this mm. also this is another problem with this song is that it gives me that irky feeling that afterglow gives me that it's like I don't really quite like the relationship that you're in. <laughs> well, I don't like in verse two. Your integrity makes me seem small. You paint dreamscapes on the wall, Taylor. You have have you listened to any of your music? What are you talking about? I talk shit with my friends. It's like I'm wasting your honor. That's such an odd thing to think about your partner. But it just shows the deeper issues in their dynamic. Integrity makes me seem small. I mean, I mean, I think it really shows the like hero complex that he had in like a, you don't need to save me, but would you run away with me? Maybe he really did feel like he saved her. And she really yeah. f- maybe believed that she had been saved in, on some mm-hmm. level. Yeah. I talk shit with my friends. It's like, that doesn't make you, that doesn't mean you have less integrity. He just seems like one of those men that's like, I'm a good man. I'm a good person. And, you know, like, don't get involved in drama and don't gossip. And it's just stupid shit that's like, just doesn't make you any much of a good person. It just means you're boring. <laughs> he almost reminds me of Jake Gyllenhaal, but just he, like... Jake Gyllenhaal's way crazier. But there's just some similarities I'm noticing in the dynamic that both of their like annoyances create in a relationship with Taylor in that she's smaller than yeah. them for whatever their belief to be. Yeah. That. The melody, the the runs in the song is just so perfect. I'm never not in the mood for this song. Mm-hmm. Like it, if it is on, I am listening. I would die for you in secret. <laughs> when she sang Cold As You on the air store mm-hmm. and she sang the... Um, no, you would have never told anyone if I died, died for you. And I remember even as a kid listening to that lyric and I was like, that's a little dramatic, Taylor. But it's like she almost like retroactively gave that song a more mature meaning by how similar those lyrics are to peace. It's crazy that she didn't recognize. She probably didn't recognize that when she was writing it. Like, oh, yeah, I wrote that lyric and cold as you about an awful guy. Like, girl, <laughs> <laughs> listen to your own albums. <laughs> And I I, you know that I sing with you for the fences. <laughs> Trenches. So good. Get, the way she delivers Give You a Child is so... The intimacy is mm-hmm. very palpable. 
And then I love how she she really does trace the guitar. Give you the silence that only comes when two people understand each other. Feel me, little children, that I see your brother, my brother. I love how that goes. And then she kind of like after she says no, all that, she goes, "Is it enough?" We're just like, and then she does this, and then she goes, "I knew to do," and then over here like this. Have you guys ever heard this song? <laughs> Maybe you should listen to it <laughs> instead of listening to us recount it. It's so funny because I feel like we did the same thing when we did Speak Now. Like we started and we were like very analytical about the songs. And then yeah. by the end we were just like, we're like oh my God, what she goes, do, do, do. <laughs> it's just hard not to get into it. Also, like, and I feel like people who appreciate the songs as much as we do will appreciate it because it's annoying. Yes. But it's also like, that's how you talk about the song, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember texting you this when a few like years ago or something and i was like it was an audio message i think i was like if this song was on lover she would go with this robbers to the east clowns to the west thank god it's not on lover and i love the devil's in the details but you're mm-hmm. the friend in me so good rain is always gonna come you gotta understand that she just did a perfect job capturing uh a peaceful song with some kind of fearful lyrics you know like very anxiety driven it feels like ocean like waves mm, you know mm-hmm. and they get stormy but you know this is before it and she's just kind of in between storms and is like damn this is not sustainable <laughs> <laughs> also i yeah. love she gets lower would it be enough i can never give you that part ingenious mm-hmm. for you paint dreamscapes on the wall it says that shortly before the premiere of the cardigan music video swift changed the thumbnail of the video to a picture of a painting which would later appear on a wall in the video itself the painting depicts a small house on a hill leading down to a beach. The sky is a swirling gray and the ocean waves roll and crash onto the sand. A rocky mountain lays behind the scene. Swift was revealed to have painted this during the first week of quarantine. Your integrity makes me seem small. You paint dreamscapes on the wall. She's like, you make meaningful art and I don't. Or maybe like you've kind of enveloped me in this dream world of our romance you know like on our four walls you painted dreamscapes around us you know mm, and she's like and i tarnish that because i talk shit with my friends apparently girl <laughs> the devil's in the details is one of my favorite lines in the song which um is in idiomatic expression meaning that a simple situation may mask a far more complicated reality or that there is often more than meets the eye Likewise, Taylor admits that while being acquainted with her may be a more tumultuous duty than expected, that pretense obscures her genuinely caring and amicable personality. Hmm. The devil's in the details, but you got a friend in me. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? I feel like this line is perplexing me right now. (laughs) Sorry, I just googled that to see what I could find. (laughs) Alluding to a catch or mysterious element hidden in the details. Oh, so she's saying, like, the devil's in the details, but you got a friend in me. But the catch being her fame. Mm -hmm. But, like, you've got a friend in me. Like, this is a genuine connection that we have. And would it be enough if I can't make that go away? Like, I can't take Mm -hmm. away that part of me because it's a part of me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I get it. (laughs) God help. (laughs) It's so funny. There are sometimes lines that I, I feel like when I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, I get it. But then when I sit and I look at the lyrics, I'm like... Well, what does that mean in the context here? Yeah. Okay. Track 16. Oh, shit. (laughs) So do you see Hoax as the true closer or the Lakes as the true closer? I mean, they're both closers, I guess. But Hoax is the closer that she decided on the album. If she wanted to have the Lakes be the closer, she would have made it the closer. Um, Taylor said, 
about hoax with this song being the last song on the album it kind of embodied all the things the album was thematically confessions nature emotional volatility and ambiguity love that isn't just easy it's the most symbolic poetic thing listing all of these things that this person is to you one is about love one is about a, a business thing that really hurt one is about a sort of relationship that i consider to be family and that really hurt this song when i first heard it i did think that her and uh, William Valerie had broken up. I did just want to call out when she says my sleepless night. And, you know, we don't know who of all of the people that inspired the song she's referring to there. But I said, okay, midnights. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. There's a definite thread from folklore evermore mm-hmm. and midnights. So this song is, it's, and you know what? I feel like I have to just be like seven and, and hoax are tied for first, basically for me. I love how it can be about anything. It has all these complicated feelings in one. The lyrics, very meditative. My only mm. one. My smoking gun. It's very, there's a lot of space and time in between each line. Ugh. It's just, and it, it utilizes all those, you know, dark and twisted imagery that I've kind of, she's kind of been toying with throughout the album. And it just makes, and she's not afraid to just pack it into one song that's just like a gut punch. <laughs> and that's why it's, that's what's so good. And also the musical, the music of it is just, oh, it's just the most heartbreaking, heartbreaking piano melody. It's just, it sounds like utter defeat in this first verse. I mean, the whole song does, but it just sets you up in this first verse. Sleepless Night windless fight oh this has frozen my ground makes me think of um ice frozen ground with no one around to tweet it in the lakes yep that's good um and this has broken me down that's just such a good line what does she when does she say my broken drum oh that's in the outro i love this outro we'll get to that we'll get yeah. to that sorry <laughs> get inside of myself i just love this song so much this is one of my favorites on the album sit on the cliffside screaming give me a reason is one of the most impactful lines in this whole album because it can mean a lot of different things but you know it's dire it's a dire situation and she's just at she's just kind of out of out of things to do and she's kind of just screaming in desperation and there's really not a lot of imagery in this song describing where the song might be taking place but i see like these rocks and like really deep blue water and just like well it's like the weird video oh i haven't seen that in a long time (laughs) but that's what that that is that might be where that came from but but i feel like i have that in my head from just listening well she says no other shade of blue but you but that's what i'm saying like she doesn't she doesn't really describe too much but just from what she gives you and the mood of the rest of the song it's very vivid in my brain and this is her abstract song because it's not a, it's not a story and it's not something that does take place anywhere or any specific moment. It's just what art really is at its core is just a feeling created from lyrics and melodies. And that's why I love it because she doesn't do songs like this rarely ever. And it's my favorite type of song. No other sadness in the world would do. And it's so interesting because she's kind of she's expressing such gut wrenching pain. But it's also like the other side of the coin, which there always is, is that it's like almost it's kind of like she said would have, could have, should have. And the God's honest truth is that the pain was heaven. So mm. it's like it can be the most painful thing in your life. But then there's the other side of the coin. There always is, and you have to address both, or else you're not giving the whole picture. Because she's choosing whatever this is. I don't want any other sadness i don't want any other pain but you i love the my best late yeah, plan I was just say that. you know that we just know that about taylor that she is that way but that it makes me think of um 
back when we were card sharks playing games, I thought you were leading me on. It makes me think of like all of Mastermind, <laughs> your sleight of hand, my barren land, I am ash from your fire. What's that quote that's like the best laid plans or something like that? It's people just say that because it's always those that go shit, go to shit. <laughs> and the film motif is continued, carried throughout the album and ends here with, you know, I left a part of me back in New York. You knew the hero died. So what's the movie for? This bridge is what gets me. I would literally sit and just listen to this bridge over and over. I would sit and listen to it and cry and listen to this bridge and then go back to the bridge and play it again. Like, this is the bridge for me. Everyone talks about the other bridges, but this is my bridge. <laughs> just, you know I left a part of me back in New York. A part of my, my, my soul, my body is not here anymore. I left it behind. You knew the hero died. So what's the movie for? What's the point? I could, co I could go through every single one of these lines. You knew it still hurts underneath my scars from when it f they pulled me apart. You're, you know me so well. And you know my deepest pains and my deepest sorrows in life. And you still are careless with me. It just, it just expresses so much anger and, and frustration and sadness. And how, how it goes through all these things. You knew all of this. Mm-hmm. But what you did was just as dark. And the way she repeats it too, she just builds it and builds it. You knew this, you knew this, you know me, you mm -hmm. cared, you could have been there. You you should but have understood more than anyone. was just as dark. And then she gives you that. I know, And then the way the she delivers part. this line. Darling, this was just as hard. Oh my God. But she's, she brings up how awful and how much pain she's in. And it, that's when it builds. And that's when she flips it and said, but all of us is equal to what you've done. I just, I love the, you know, I left a part of me back in New York because it's like so much of her music has been set in New York. Like that was the place where everything happened from 1989 on. To go from that in 1989, then to London Boy and Lover and how she saw in love with her London Boy and kind of, it's a little different. It's the, the, you know, the next chapter, I guess. And then to get this chapter of, you know, I left a part of me back in New York. It's like addressing the history. Oh, it's so good. I was going to say the bridge and the outro is like my favorite part of the song, but I, it, it wouldn't be my favorite part of the song if it weren't for everything that came before it. Yep. But this, my only one, mm -hmm. the way she delivers that. My kingdom come undone. Okay, so many times she has referenced kingdom. My castle crumbled overnight. And you know kingdom come, that's a that's a common quote. And she turns that on its head, gives it a little twist. My kingdom come undone. My broken drum. I mean, really what she is listing in this in all of these lines is kind of like, but specifically in this outro is like my kingdom come undone. My broken drum. Like these things that aren't working They're tarnished. anymore. You have beaten my broken drum. It is storming <laughs> where you are right now. It's my favorite thing. Apologies if the audio it's of the, for storm the ends up. <laughs> um, my broken drum. You have beaten my heart. Don't want no other shade of blue, but you no other sadness in the world would do. There's just no words. <laughs> There really isn't. Like, I don't even know. What what is there to say about a song like this? As mythical and mystifying and confusing and devastating and You just have to go listen to it. <laughs> and and don't try to make it about anything. No, just, just feel just it. Just let the just song wash it. over you. Like a storm. <laughs> like the storm outside guy's window. <laughs> All right. Now we're on to that completes the... And I love that that's the closer because it's so painful and she never had the nerve to do anything like that before on a closer. And... It's it's where I want to be left off when I listen to this album, you know? Next we have the deluxe track, The Lakes. 
I have an interesting relationship with the lakes just because it was slotted in after we'd already had the album. Yeah, it feels a little separate. Yeah, but I do really, really, really love this song. I was noticing a lot of similarities between the lakes and love story. This calamitous love, like if you think about Romeo and Juliet, you know, not necessarily like who Taylor wrote it about, but like the fact that she was kind of writing her version of Romeo and Juliet and love story, a calamitous love and wanting to run away together with someone. Romeo, take me somewhere we can be alone. I just want to run away with you. Mm, yeah. I don't know. I, I really like the that thread between those two songs. That's cool. And I love her voice in this song. Almost opera sounding like just the way she enunciates some of these songs like obviously she's not singing opera but um like like we said you know all of the like present day lyrics in this song is it romantic and against some of the most some words that aren't used today at all just because they're so poetic and just older vernacular that's not really used is it romantic how all my elegies eulogize me what a freaking line. Yeah. An elegy is a melancholic poem, usually meant to memorialize a dead person, while a eulogy is a descriptive tribute to someone who died. So all of Taylor's art, her poetry, her writing, eulogizes her, cements her legacy, mm-hmm. and will exist long after she is gone. Mm-hmm. I'm not cut out for all these cynical clones, these hunters with cell phones. Stop going to her studio in New York. <laughs> Oh my god. Take me to the lakes where all the poets went to die. I don't belong, and my beloved neither do you. These Windermere Peaks... I love this line. These Windermere... Those Windermere Peaks look like a perfect place to cry. I'm setting off, but not without my muse. No, if she calls him my muse. I mean, who doesn't want to run away to the lakes and the Windermere Peaks, you know? What should be burrowed under my skin? What should be over? What should be over, burrowed under my skin, in heart-stopping ways of heart? It's like, they say move on, but you know I won't. Mm -hmm. What should be over is burrowed under my skin in heart-stopping waves of hurt. And she's like, I'm not pulling any punches. This is how heart, it's heart-stopping waves of hurt. And it always will be. (laughs) I've come too far to watch some name-dropping sleaze tell me what are my words worth. Words worth. That's so good. (laughs) William Wordsworth doubles as, um, there was an English poet, William Wordsworth, who actually did go to the Lake District. And he just wanted to write and create art away from every, everything else. I bet that and was like, upon reading that story, that's what like inspired the song. Because reading that and being like, Wordsworth, that's such a cool name. Like, mm-hmm. who can tell you what your words are worth? And I bet that would be, be totally what would inspire me for that. The song is just very romantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and is. Very unapologetically romantic. And peaceful. This is, you know, where escapism really shines through in this mm-hmm. song. I want to watch Wisteria grow right over my bare feet because I haven't moved in years. I love that line. What do you take that to mean? Well, I think literally it's, I've literally not moved. So like the growth is encompassing me almost. And like I've become one with just the plants and nature. But I mean, it could also re- be related to covid and you know staying still and being in isolation and that's how it feels that's very relatable to me i haven't moved in years <laughs> that's how i feel sometimes and um but she's saying i want i want this to happen i want to watch it grow right over me because i haven't moved i want to stay here for years because it's so opposite of how she's lived her life up until then now 
a red rose grew up out of ice frozen ground i love that line and how she and how she does this insurmountable calamitous all these crazy words and it sounds like she's literally emily dickinson poetry and then she talks about no one around to tweet it and hundreds of cell phones and it's like that is the time we're living in i, I really appreciate that and it's like also how silly it sounds you know like the dichotomy of that yeah it's such a good song and i think it's a great album closer but not in place of hoax, but just yeah. kind of as like this. A supplemental. Because it does kind of define the album as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it, again, is one of the songs on folklore that feels inspired by the pandemic. Yeah. And because she always talks about like escapism on this album, which is obviously writing is escapism and all of it's escapism. But she wrote this song to literally be escapism, about yes. escapism. Because Taylor Swift in that moment, in that point in time, wanted yeah. to escape and go to the lakes, but she couldn't. Mm-hmm. So she had to go there in her mind. And so she wrote about it. I think she really wanted this to be on the album because it's kind of an important element to the story of folklore is that she was trying to escape. And that concludes the track by track. Genre wise, this album isn't pop and I'm going to need people to stop saying that it is. So annoying. She's a pop artist, yes, but the music is not pop music. To kind of wrap up, we're just going to touch a little bit on, we're going to kind of close the circle of us talking about how this album comes after Lover. And we will reopen the circle when we do our Lover breakdown and talk about how Lover came before Folklore. I also just can't imagine a, a timeline where this album doesn't exist. It just changed, it changed our lives. It, it helped us get through so much stuff, but it also like changed the way we view Taylor as an artist. It I think it changed her own perception of herself of, and her own music. Yeah. It reinforced her artistic abilities and a lot of people's focus on songwriting as important. It opened up all these different avenues for her that she could go down. And I think the bravery of writing and releasing folklore is what has helped her make the All Too Well short film and wanting to do, you know, venture Be into brave other things. with her art. And this album, this album won Album of the Year for the 2020 Grammys. Like, this will go down in history as the pandemic album, which is crazy. And it will always have so many memories for people in their minds about this time. Very specific and rare time period. I'm going to close us off with this quote from Rob Sheffield for Rolling Stone, who said, If Lover was the last album of her 20s, Folklore is the first album of her 30s. Mm. Lover was styled as a well-rounded musical autobiography with everything from Nashville twang to electro disco. Folklore takes a completely different approach, yet feels even more intimate, simply because it's the sound of an artist with absolutely nothing to prove. Hmm. She never sounded this relaxed or confident, never sounded this blasé about winning anyone over. It makes perfect sense that the quarantine brought out her best, since she's always written so poignantly about isolation and the temptation to dream Mm. too hard about other people's faraway lives. That's good. Anything to say about that? Um, I love that they classified how Lover is the last album of her 20s. I thought it was her 30s, though. She wrote it in her 20s, but she put it out, I think, like, right before her 30th birthday. It came out when she was 29, right before she hit her 30s. And then Folklore is the first of her 30s. That's, that's cool. It's very fitting because it, I mean, Lover was like her trying to hold on to what she had going for her in her 20s instead of embracing the change and what else can come after. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, folklore is just monumental. Thank you guys so much for listening to our folklore album breakdown. This was quite a journey. I feel like we've been recording this episode literally all day long. It literally, we started at 10. <laughs> and it's 
4.40 p.m. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to have to do some major editing on this. Um, if you enjoyed this really long folklore discussion and exploration into the magical fairy forest that is this album, there are a couple ways you can support this podcast and our efforts of recording episodes on an entire Sunday. First, subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform. It helps us because you'll never miss an episode, and it helps you because you'll never miss an episode. Secondly, leave us a five-star rating and review. This lets people know that our listeners enjoy our episodes. And for all of our pathological people pleasers, follow <laughs> us on Twitter at SwiftyPod13 and on Instagram at Further Explanation Pod. It's a great time over there. Our Lover album breakdown will be coming very soon for the album's anniversary. And at the time that you're listening to this, our Speak Now TV album reaction and breakdown episode is up. So go check that out. If you're a Speak Now stan, you definitely need to hear it because we are Speak Now stans. Mm -hmm. And so that episode will be... You will love it. I just we, we haven't recorded it yet, but I know that you will love it. <laughs> and on that note, we will talk to you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.